Let me begin this morning by asking you a question. If I were to walk outside this church and go to the people in this city and to the people in the surrounding areas and at random ask them, who is God? Do you think everyone I would approach, everyone I, I approach on the street would all be on the same page when answering that question? No. I think we all would agree that there is some confusion today in our world about who God is. Am I right? Why is that? Why all this confusion? Why do people think that God is in the, in the trees or God's in the, or in the waters or God could be a, a man or a woman or something else altogether? And why do some believe that it's impossible to know whether or not God exists at all? And why do they think that to know Him personally is just a ridiculous concept? Why is this the case? Why do people feel and think in this way? Is it because God is silent? Is it because God has left that question unanswered? is the reason he is not known is because he has not made himself known, nor does he want to be known. This morning, we're going to discuss this, and the main message that I want you to understand from the Word of God is that Scripture teaches that our God is a speaking God. He is a communicating God. He is a revealing God. Our God speaks. If you have your Bibles, turn to Psalm 19. We're continuing with Missions Month, and today we're going to talk about the fact that God is not silent, that He has spoken. We're going to explain what this means for us. So Psalm 19... Back in the 1970s, there was a book written by a theologian and, and author, Francis Schaeffer, entitled, He is There and He is Not Silent. And in this book, Schaeffer makes two simple arguments. First, he makes the argument that God is there. There is a God who actually exists. He is there. He is real. And the second main argument of this book is that he is not silent. God has spoken. He has communicated. He has revealed himself. And that second point is what we are going to put all of our, our emphasis and all of our focus on this morning. The fact that God is not silent. He has spoken. He has communicated with us. This morning we are going to talk about several ways in which God has done this. First, number one, God has spoken to us in creation. He has spoken to us in creation. Let's begin by reading Psalm chapter 19, verses 1 through 4. Listen to what David writes. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims His handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth, 
in their words to the end of the world. Now, in this passage, David is using a literary device called anthropomorphism. Stay with me, okay? See, some of you are already dozing at that word. You almost fell asleep before I got done saying it. Anthropomorphism, that's just a fancy 25-cent word that means something very, very simple. When a writer uses a human-like quality for something that is not human, that is anthropomorphism. So you can go and impress your friends, all right? Let's say someone was in an art gallery and they saw a, a work of art like a painting or a sculpture and they said, that work of art touched me. My doubt is, I, I doubt that any of you in here would think that that sculpture or that painting reached out and grabbed them, right? No, that's, that's what anthropomorphism is. It's, ascri it's ascribing a human-like quality to something that is not human. That is what David is doing here. Here's what David is saying. He is saying creation, in a sense, speaks to us. It talks to us. It is telling us something. Anywhere you go in the world, you are going to hear its message. What's the message? David tells us in verse 1. The message is, the heavens declare the glory of God. The heavens are saying, God is there. God is glorious. He is powerful. He has created all this. This is the message. The heavens are declaring to us. Now, if you continue to read in verses 4 through 6, David begins to talk about the sun and about how glorious it is and how wonderful it is. And the reason why he does this is because there were people in David's day who actually worshipped the sun. They believed that because the sun is powerful and useful and necessary, it was worthy of worship. And David comes along and says, you're right when you say that the sun is amazing. But why would you worship the sun when you can worship the one who actually created the sun? And put it in its place. Why would you worship creation when you can worship the creator? That's the point that David is making here. He's saying God has spoken to us and he has done it through creation. Now, theologians refer to this as general revelation. That's what that's, that's, that's the term that they, that they put on that, general revelation. And, and it just basically means it's referring to revelation that's, that's generally available for all people. All people everywhere. No matter where you are born, all people are exposed to this message that creation is speaking that says there is a God, He is there, and He is glorious. Now, there's a question that almost always comes up when you talk about general revelation. And the question is this, if there is such a thing as natural or general revelation, if God has spoken in and through creation, then why doesn't everyone everywhere respond to it? Several years ago, when Leslie and I were vacationing in Florida with a, a couple of our friends... Right when we got to Florida, after we dropped our bags off at the place where we were staying, what do you think the first thing we did was? What do you think? 
No, well, we went to eat afterwards. We went to the beach. Yeah, we wanted to see the ocean. And when we got there, the sun was setting, and, and there were a lot of couples and families who had the exact same idea, and they were lined up, up and down the beach, and they were looking out, and they were marveling at the beauty of the sea. And I thought to myself, Many of these people are marveling at this great sea, but how many of them are marveling at its much greater creator? Probably just a handful, if that many. Why is that? If creation is speaking this message and pointing to the creator day after day and night after night, then why doesn't everyone everywhere acknowledge his existence? Well, Paul actually answers this question in Romans 1. Look at what he says up on the screen. You can turn there if you would like, but I have it up on the screen for you. Romans 1, 18 through 20. Look at what Paul says. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. Here's what Paul is saying here. Notice the logic he uses here. First he says, since the beginning, God has clearly made himself known in creation. But here's the problem. Notice verse 18. People have suppressed the truth. They have pushed it down. They have smothered it. That word suppress carries with it the picture of what you do to a jack-in-the-box. The, the truth has been taken and it's been pushed down and it's been boxed up. And the reason why is because people don't like there to be a supreme being. Because we like to be our own authority, right? We like to be our own supreme being. We don't like to think that there is someone out there above us calling the shots. So we suppress the truth. Paul says, because this is the case, because people have suppressed the truth and exchanged it for something else, he says, all are without excuse. No one will be able to have an excuse in the end. No one will be able to claim ignorance in that day because God's Word tells us that revelation is revealed to us in creation. And it's, it's knowledge enough for us to be held accountable. That's why Paul says all are without excuse. This passage in Romans 1 is a warning to all people about the dangers of rejecting God who has made himself known in creation. But guess what, believers? This message is also for us. It is. You know why? Because even though we are God's children, we too at times have this natural tendency to reject God's rule and reign in our lives and exchange the Creator for created things. We do. Now, most of us are not bowing down to a sun god or a moon god. I'll give you that. But guess what? There are other things 
that we are very tempted to worship that falls into this camp. Though you may not even realize it, you too have this temptation. You too have this desire to exchange the creator for created things. For example, maybe a person in your life. Husband, wife, girlfriend, boyfriend, son or daughter. That trumps your relationship with God. Listen, though it's good to care, love and care for one another, God calls for us to do that and be a loving and caring husband and wife, father and mother, brother or sister. If you are ultimately trying to find lasting happiness and satisfaction in those relationships, that's wrong. That's exchanging creation for creator. Maybe the money you make, the job you have, your status in society is the most important thing to you. Though it's good for you to provide for your family, do well at your job, and have a good reputation with people in the community, if those things reach the top spot on your list of priorities, if you spend all of your time thinking about those things, thinking about the amount of money you make, a particular promotion or an elite status in society, and think that that's going to bring you lasting satisfaction and happiness, you're sadly mistaken. That's idolatry. That's worshiping created things. That's substituting creation for creator. Now go back to David's point in Psalm 19. Let me ask this question once again. Why do we do it? Why worship creation when there is a creator to be worshipped? Why worship the sun when you can worship the one who has created the sun? Why would you worship a, a person or a particular relationship that you have with that person when you can worship the God who created us and provided for us the kind of relationship that leads all others? A relationship with himself. It's a good question, isn't it? one we need to answer because the truth of the matter is we all struggle with this we all have this tendency to suppress the truth and substitute creation for creator so the first way God has spoken to us is in creation now listen closely I want to share with you a very important point that will lead us into this next point here though general revelation is sufficient enough for us to be held accountable for our disobedience, get this, it is not sufficient enough to lead us to a saving knowledge of God. Let me say that again. Though general revelation is sufficient enough for us to be held accountable for our disobedience, it's not sufficient enough to lead us to a saving knowledge of God. That's why God has spoken to us in another way, in another way other than just generally in creation. Number two, God has also spoken to us in His Word. Not only has God revealed Himself to us in creation, but more specifically in words. His words. It's what we call the Bible, right? And God speaking to us through His Word is what theologians refer to as special revelation. So general revelation is revelation of God in creation, 
available to all people while special revelation is the revelation of God through human authors. And it's available to those who have the Bible in their language. Beginning to see why it's important that we emphasize missions, right? If you're not, you need to. This tells us here. Look at Psalm 19 again, beginning in verse 7. Look at what David says. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. Wow. Back in verses 1 through 6, David's talking about how God has revealed himself in creation. And now, beginning in verse 7, David is talking about the fact that God has revealed himself to us in his writing. And he refers to this writing, this special revelation in many different ways. He calls it God's law, God's testimony, God's precepts, God's commandments. David says, God has spoken to us in human writing. Therefore, it's valuable to us. Because it's God's word. He says it's more valuable than gold. How many of you believe that? Many of us will do whatever it takes to get our hands on a little bit more money. But will we do the same for God's word? David says God's word is also sweeter than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. In other words, it's more pleasing than the finest of foods. Many of us will drop whatever we're doing to enjoy our favorite meal. But do we hunger for God's Word in that way? David says we should value God's Word more than we do the largest sums of money and more than the finest of foods. He goes on to say in verse 11, Moreover, by them is your servant warned, in keeping them there is great reward. So David says here that God's word is is so necessary, it's so important, and we are to value it so much and, and because in it, God tells us how to live our lives in a way that honors Him so that we will be rewarded. See, David understood that in order for him to live a victorious life, a life that is truly honoring to God. He needed guidance and direction from God in His Word because David knew the wickedness of the human heart as much as anyone. Look at what he says in verses 12 through 14. Who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. In this passage, David shows that a man's heart is so out of whack that there are sins he commits he doesn't even know about. How about that? He says, declare me innocent from hidden faults. He admits that he has faults and sins he's not even aware of. So he asks forgiveness of those things. 
He says, God, forgive me when there are things you want me to do and expect me to do that I don't do unintentionally. And forgive me when there are things that I do that you don't want me to do that I do inadvertently. Believers, we ought to pray like this. We should. Times we ought to say, God, forgive me for the things that you don't want me to do that I do. And, for, and, and I don't even know I'm doing them. And forgive me when there are things you want me to do that I don't do unknowingly. We ought to pray like that. Notice what else David prays for in verse 13. He says, God, keep me from presumptuous sins. Now, what does that mean? What is presumptuous sins? He's saying, God, keep me from open rebellion. David says, I know that I am capable of getting to a point in my life when I just openly rebel against you. And David knew that. He learned that the hard way about himself, didn't he? He says, keep me from just openly rebelling against you. That's presumptuous sin. So when you do something you know you're not supposed to do and you have the attitude of, I just don't care, I'm doing it anyway. Listen, we're all capable of open rebellion. We are. You are. I am. That's why we need the grace of God and that's why we need His Word. It, it, it guides us and directs us. It leads us to the things that please God and away from those things that dishonor Him. General revelation can't do that for you. The message that God has spoken through His created world does not lead us to a saving knowledge of God, but the message that God speaks through His Word does. It leads us to salvation, and then it leads us to live a life that honors God. That's why we need special revelation that's why we need the bible that's why we must treasure it more than the finest of foods and more than all the money in the world so god has spoken to us in creation and in writing and finally god has spoken to us in jesus this is god's supreme form of revelation so there's general revelation there's special revelation and third there is supreme revelation God has spoken to us in the person of his son look at Hebrews 1 1 through 2 the author of Hebrews says this long ago at many times and in many ways God spoke to our fathers by the prophets but in these last days he has spoken to us by his son whom he appointed the heir of all things through whom he also created the world the author of Hebrews is saying, back in the day, God spoke through the prophets, through their speaking, through their writing. But in these last days, God has given us a supreme form of revelation in that He has spoken to us through His Son. Now, I want you to understand something very important here. This does not mean that Jesus' words in Scripture are superior to the other writers. All Scripture is inspired by who? God. That's right. 
The Bible is written by the Holy Spirit through human authorship. Therefore, the words of the prophets, the words of the apostles, and the words of Jesus are all equally inspired. That's why I take issue with red-letter Bibles. If you have them, that's okay. I'm not going to come down on you. I'm not going to have you raise your hand. But it, it highlights it as if Jesus' words are more inspired than the other, and they're not. The Holy Spirit is the author. Is the Holy Spirit God? He is. And all Scripture is equally inspired by God. But Jesus is supreme over the apostles and over the prophets because He is God. And during His earthly ministry, He came to bring clarity to what was written in the ancient Scriptures. And He, and he came to reveal the truth of God's kingdom and God's message. He came down to live for us and die for us and was raised for us to accomplish for us salvation so that we could be made right with and grow in our knowledge of the one and true and living God who has spoken. In all those ways, Jesus is supreme. He is the supreme form of revelation. He is the Son. He is God's Son. He is the eternal Son, the agent through whom all things were created. Listen now, John put it in John 1.1. He says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. John is saying, in the beginning, there was this Word who was both with God, that's distinction, and was God. He is equally God. Now, who is the Word he's talking about? Well, you know, right? Verse 14, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. He's talking about Jesus here. He's saying at a certain point in history, the eternal Son of God came to earth. He took on flesh and he became one of us. I love the way Eugene Peterson puts it in the message. He moved into the neighborhood. He came and he tabernacled among us. God has condescended down to our level and he has become one of us. Times when I get home from work, I'm spent. Anybody ever feel that way? Tired, headachy. And all I want to do is just eat a, eat a meal and just sit back in the recliner and just kind of hang out for a little bit. Anybody ever feel that way? Yeah. But you know what? When I get home, I've got two little girls waiting on me, and they don't want me to do that. They've had their naps, and they're wound tight, and they're bouncing off the walls, and they want me to join in on the fun. They want me to play My Little Pony. They want me to go outside and play outside in the yard, and I always have this decision to make of whether or not I'm going to join in and play or whether or not I'm going to rest from a long day at work. Well, on my better days, I get down on the floor and I play with those girls. Listen, this is what God has done for us. He has chosen to not stay removed from us. He could have, and he would have been just in doing so because of our sin. But instead of staying removed from us, he condescended down to our level and became one of us. Think about that for a moment. The creator of the universe who put the sun in its place, who knows the stars by name, chose to be born in a horse trough, a place where the animals stay. 
The one who spoke the world into existence chose to identify with us to such an extent that he became a little cooing and gooing baby. That's the extent that God has gone through to identify with us. He identified with us by growing up in an average home and by walking the streets with the common man. He hung out with fishermen, tax collectors and sinners, and even allowed himself to be identified with the lowliest of criminals and allowed himself to be punished and executed with them. He died a painful death on a shameful cross for us. Our sins which separated us from God were paid for by Him on the cross. That's the extent that God has gone through to communicate with us, to identify with us. Now, why would God do that? Why speak to us in creation? Why speak to us in human writing? Why speak to us in the person of Jesus? Why do that? Simple. Because God wants to be known and He wants to be worshipped. That's why we emphasize missions in this church. Because our God is a speaking God who wants to be known and worshipped where He is not known and worshipped. He wants to be known by you. He wants to be known by me. He wants us to hear Him and listen to Him and respond to Him. And the question you need to ask yourself this morning is this. Are you listening? Are you responding? God has spoken. He is not silent. Are you listening? Make sure that you hear Him, listen to Him, and respond to Him. Let's pray.